0: Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Crystal Whitney. Krista is the director of the Yiddish Book Center's Wexler Oral History Project and an alumna of the Yiddish Book Center's Steiner Summer Yiddish Program as well as the Center's Fellowship Program. It was during her fellowship in 2009-2010 that she began working on the Oral History Project which eventually launched uh, by her in 2010 and it is now known as our Yiddish Book Center Wexler Oral History Project. Welcome Krista. Hi, Lisa. Hi. Um, I think this finds you today in Salt Lake City? Yeah. I'm
1: out here at the Oral History Association's annual meeting.
0: Great. You are very peripatetic, Krista. Um, (laughs) You're at conferences and doing field work around the world, yes? Yeah. I imagine. A lot
1: of time on the road. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, so um, thank you for taking time between the conference presentations, et cetera, to join me today. Um, I was eager to talk with you about your recent interview with Harold Bloom. I know you, you recorded a field interview with Bloom at his home in New Haven, Connecticut, just a few weeks, if that, before his death. And let's start off by asking you, so what what drew you to Harold Bloom?
1: Well, I had known about Harold Bloom um, just as a name. Uh, You know, we had some Harold Bloom books in my house growing up, particularly the the Shakespeare book. Um, And uh, also my family has a long history at Yale, so some of my family members had studied with him. Um, And uh, when I found out that his native language was Yiddish, I just thought that this would be a fascinating Um, interview. Uh, Particularly, he hasn't written much on Yiddish, so I was really curious as a literary critic what his thoughts on Yiddish literature might be.
0: Uh, Yeah, I have to say that it was surprising um, in viewing this and learning more about, you know, what sort of sent you in the direction of getting that interview, that his Yiddish roots are deep, that he was a native Yiddish speaker. Can you tell me what you learned in the interview about that?
1: Sure, yeah, I mean, so he in typical fashion, we started talking a bit about his family background and growing up, and he painted a picture of growing up in the East Bronx in, as he called it, a proletarian um, Jewish family. his uh, his father worked as a dressmaker. and um, in a in a he grew up in the thirties there in a time. Uh, where there were um, Irish fascists right down the road, Um, and so that sort of cultivated in him this sense of fighting um, literally and uh, eventually um, academically and theoretically, Um, so that was one thing that I sort of uh, helped me understand a bit about his um sort of polemical uh and controversial career as um as it came to be um and also that he uh he really considers yiddish his native culture so in the interview he talks about how the first um Shakespeare uh that he ever saw performed was at the Second Avenue Theater um, in a Yiddish production uh, of Merchant of Venice and King Lear uh, with Maurice Schwartz playing the lead roles and he really lit up when he was talking about um, uh, those seeing those, um, those plays in Yiddish.
2: The first Shakespeare plays I ever saw were in Yiddish at the 2nd Avenue Theater and I will never forget my experience I was thinking of that this morning because this coming Tuesday I have to teach the one Shakespearean play about which I am very equivocal indeed, The Merchant of Venice. So I was sitting with my three sisters in the Second Avenue Theatre. This is about 1938 and I'm eight years old. The magnificent Maurice Schwartz is Shylock. But this has all been marvelously rewritten, in Yiddish. As they said, verbesset, improved.
1: <laughs> um, he talked about having uh, how the first books that he read were in in Yiddish. Um, uh, that he he sort of uh, grew up with Yiddish books and culture um, as the first. Uh, culture that he encountered, quickly followed by um, by English-language uh, writers.
0: And um, there's some just beautiful passages in this interview, Krista. And again, when you say he lit up, he, he does. He's, be, he's so animated, and it just sort of flows out of him. And if I can just quote one passage and ask you to speak a little bit about it, um, and that's, sure. As a very small child, three, four years old, I was sent to Sholem Aleichem schools. They were over the Bronx, so pretty good early education that was strictly in Yiddish and Hebrew, and of course I went to Cheder and Talmud Torah and learned Hebrew, but to this day my English is very curious because I learned it only through the eye and not through the ear. I didn't, in fact, hear English spoken until I was about five and a half. It, that tells us a lot, yes?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, he really grew up in a Yiddish-speaking community. He spoke Yiddish with his parents. Um, he. Spoke he didn't say it explicitly in the interview but he's written elsewhere that he spoke um it was the only language he used with his parents during their lives.
2: I still dream in Yiddish while I'm talking to my mother in dreams
1: um and uh yeah, so you know he he was grew up sort of um. Steeped in um, in traditional Jewish education, as well as um, the Sholom Aleichem schools, um, uh, schools, you know, hint at the fact that he also had a Yiddish cultural education as well.
0: And in the interview, um, when you asked him a question about his uh, Yiddish background, he suggests that you look at photos in the hallway.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you um, see the full interview, you can see we actually edited the, those um, couple of photos in there. Um, so he, uh, there's this one photo that he, he talks a bit more about, which is his grandfather, who is, as he describes it, I think, clutching the um, book that he's holding um, because he's a little bit uh, uh, concerned about um, the prohibition on uh, making... Uh, um, Images of humans—that is—that uh, is prohibited in the religion—and his grandfather was quite from quite observant. Um, and he, uh, yeah, I think that sort of that um, that uh, descending from Talmudic scholars is something that he also um, touched on in the interview as being um, the way that he sort of sees his own approach to text as being part of that lineage.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating to hear that background and how it then goes on to inform his work.
1: Right. Um,
0: So I know that you spend, as a colleague, I've seen it, um, an enormous amount of time preparing for all of the interviews that you do. But I imagine that they unfold in interesting ways because you you provide that space for somebody to speak and reflect and recall. And I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that process, and then maybe how that allowed Bloom to share some of what we might not have known about him.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, doing, thinking about how to approach research for someone who's written over 45 books is a little bit intimidating, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So I decided to focus on, um, you know, the interviews and anything that he had written about um, Jewish topics specifically, because I wanted to know as much going into the interview about what he what his associations uh, were with his native culture um, so that I would it would help me inform what kind of uh, directions to or what kinds of topics to open up in our conversation Um, and uh, I'm forgetting the second half of your question sorry what what um if you want me to talk about from
0: there well just um about how that process works and i guess i would uh, let me just ask a, another question um okay which is related and it was sort of um you know uh, bloom has been described by our colleague david mizawa as a legendary literary scholar so in in the oral history these are very personal reflections, and you really draw a lot out of him. And so, you know, going back to, you do so much prep for it. Was your expectation that this would flow so fluidly and we would get such a glimpse into those early years of his life and and the place of Yiddish?
1: Well, you know, you can never really know before meeting someone exactly how the interview is going to unfold. But I did have a sense, you know, he wrote a review of Oriel Weinreich's um, History of the Yiddish Language, in which he um, revealed a bit of his um, sort of deep thinking about Yiddish, and he's also um, alluded to his love and and the fact that he still reads Yiddish poetry. So I knew that that was there, and I was just hoping that the questions would, you know, that he would have a lot to say about it, which he turned out to um, indeed have a lot to say about it. The um, the The question of sort of did I know um, how much was there, um, you know, not really, but I had uh, hoped. And I think by just opening, by a- asking these open-ended questions and frankly also just giving a space to For him to talk about something that probably the people um, surrounding him, you know, who he mainly teaches about Shakespeare and literary theory, and so um, uh, Yiddish is probably not something that a lot of um, you know his students knew that he knew a lot about. (laughs) So um, there was that sense of that he was sort of um, uh, in a in a way very open to having this kind of discussion, and and maybe, uh, you know, one that he didn't get to, to talk too much about uh, to people about.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just, as I say, it was really lovely to hear it all unfold. And I think there were two interesting bookends for me. One is, and you can elaborate on these for me, um, the first book that he purchased, and the second is when you asked the question towards the end of the interview about what he might be reading in Yiddish, and I wonder if you can talk about those two bits. Sure.
1: So the first book is actually not one that he purchased, but that arrived. It's the first book he owned, um, as uh, he he sort of chuckled as he talked about this, the irony of this um, first book.
2: Oh, funnily enough, the first book I ever owned myself and it still strikes me as hilarious. was a New Testament in Yiddish. One day the doorbell rang and a missionary handed it to me. So I read it.
1: Um, From that early age, he didn't say exactly how old he was, but he must have been pretty young. Um, He said he developed a virulent dislike to it and um that was sort of a an interesting foundational um experience um uh and then he uh the other bookend as you talk about in the interview was about um uh his what he was reading um in yiddish lately um and he had been thinking about that uh you know um, performance, Maurice Schwartz performing Shylock. That had been something that he had been thinking about even that morning, he said, because he was preparing to teach a course, on, a class on um, Merchant of Venice, which he, is, you know, doesn't, uh, it's the Shakespeare play that he said he doesn't um, get very excited about teaching. Um, and then, uh And then he was also working on a piece of writing about Dante, and so in addition to going back to the Italian original, he um, had been reading um, the Yiddish translation by a writer, Vladimir Jabotinsky, um, and he was sort of musing on what a curious uh, translation it was.
0: I think this is a great example, Krista, of the importance of these oral histories and also um, what is so just surprising important and, if I may, wonderful about them is that these may be questions that nobody else has asked these people because it's not the first and foremost that we, you know, sort of, it's not their professional persona, um, but it so informs that work. And certainly, you know, you you met with Bloom very close to the end of his life, and to give him an opportunity to speak about this is quite an amazing thing. And I just, that methodology, and that's probably why you're also at the conference today. How to can you talk a little bit about that and how it works and and how you're able so so beautifully to draw this out in these interviews?
1: Well, thanks, Lisa. I um, I think the the oral history methodology does um, allow for you know obviously not in every interview, but and in, it allows for um, some opening up of uh, of this type of conversation. In in that one of the tenets is that you don't make any assumptions, and um, so. That really um, gets down to even the wording of the questions and not assuming um, that you know ahead of time what the answer is going to be. Um, obviously, you've done research and you you know, know um, about the person that you're interviewing, but um, in asking open-ended questions, it does allow for uh, space for people to sort of develop um, their thoughts and and give space um, in a way that is not as typical in a normal conversation. I mean, in a normal conversation, it's a back and forth, and, um, you know, both parties are equal, but in an oral history, you know, the role of the oral historian is to create space and um, uh, for someone to develop their thoughts on the topic that is um, of interest to to you as an oral historian.
0: So the um, Harold Bloom that you went to meet and do the field interview with, when you left, was he the Harold Bloom you expected to encounter?
1: Um, I think, yes, I think he was sort of what I, um, uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but it was sort of the best version that I had hoped for. You know, I, I knew that he was passionate about teaching. He was teaching up until a few days before he died. And I think that commitment and curiosity and sort of openness that being a professor, um, uh, you know, a beloved professor, uh, you know, requires uh, really um, came through in, in our encounter. I mean, he, as I left, um, you know, said, Well, I looked me straight in the eye took my hand and said, well, I expect we'll meet again and really, you know, did, was inviting me to come back and continue our discussion about uh, Yiddish poetry, um, which we both, it turns out, uh, love.
0: Well, again, um, thank you. Thank you for getting to Harold Bloom um, when you did. And there, um, there's really a lot to be taken from this interview. So Krista, um, for our listeners, can you give us the url of where they will find this interview on our website?
1: Sure, so you can just go to yiddishbookcenter.org slash history.
0: And it's an opportunity to remind those who aren't aware um, of our Wexler Oral History Project, there are a, a thousand interviews to date, um, or a thousand have been recorded. There are full-length, in-depth interviews, and there are excerpts, and maybe you could just give a Quick overview of the mission of the Wexler oral history project.
1: Yeah, so we interview people of all different backgrounds, from native speakers to descendants of Yiddish writers, scholars, artists, students, and more about um, in order to uh, paint a picture of all different aspects of Yiddish language and culture.
0: Great. Um, well, from all of us, Krista, thank you for all the, the work and the travel and the trekking and for being able to provide the space for these narrators to tell their story. Um, and uh, now we'll let you get back to the other work at hand. <laughs> <laughs>
1: thanks right. so much, Lisa, and Thanks for making time to talk.
0: All right. We look forward to seeing you soon and, and the fruits of your labors. Take care.
2: You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.